Hi, I'm Tony Moore, and you're listening to An Elegant Weapon. An Elegant Weapon is brought to you by Nemesis Studios. An Elegant Weapon for a more civilized age. Welcome to An Elegant Weapon, episode 220. My name is Jay. Jay, I'm Clark. Jay, the Jedi Ross. Ross, Jedi, Jay. And as always, it's so wonderful to be back here with you in the L5J Studios, kids. This week on An Elegant Weapon, an old dear friend returns. That's right, he's back. The man in black himself, writer, Mr. Dirk Manning. Dirk is doing the rounds right now on the podcast circuit as he promotes his Kickstarter for Nightmare World Volume 4 slash Nightmare World The Omnibus. Last I checked, uh, he had broken $28,000 on their way to their 14th or 15th stretch goal. It's a fantastic affair. It's a big-time event. So as always... It was my absolute pleasure to sit down and have yet another wonderful, mind-bending conversation with our good friend, Mr. Dirk Manning. So, we're going to talk. We're going to chill. We talk, of course, about writing, books, our favorite books, old-time books, what books mean to people, and, of course, a whole whack about uh, the Kickstarter. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the lucid tones as this week we feature yet another conversation with Mr. Dirk Manning. Hey, buddy, how you doing? Pretty good. How are you doing, man? I'm doing all right. I, uh, I'm doing all right. I'm happy to be talking to you, so that's great. Yes, and, it's been uh, far too long, my friend. It has. I missed seeing your face at Grand Rapids, but I understand yeah, I had uh, I had made commitments and uh, had a really good time at the Mississauga Comic Expo there. Uh, that was a really really cool show, man. It was. Uh, was it good? Yeah, it was really cool because it was really I don't want to say stripped down, but it was more like a comic arts festival. It was just like fifty of the best indie guys around, all just in the. It was in the library. We have a really nice central library here in Mississauga. Right. And, uh, yeah, just one section kind of on each floor. It's like tiered floors. And, yeah, they, like 50 artists just set up, and uh, it had to be all original. So all original work, no, like, you know, prints or other people's IPs or any of that kind of thing. So that made it super cool because I discovered a lot I think I might not have had there mm-hmm. been a lot of other stuff just you know that was making me not look in that direction because it was stuff I'd seen a million times right right you know? right right so, right yeah i discovered some crazy cool books and met some really cool people so 
You know, that's awesome. Yeah, it's one of the cool parts about this area is I just keep meeting them. They just keep coming in from the surrounding areas, and all the time I'm meeting new people, and they're talented as hell too. It's crazy. Well, that's the thing, man. It's like when you go to shows and things like that, and then you get a chance to meet creators uh, who are doing books that you might otherwise never know about and things like that, and you might not otherwise be aware of. And then, you know, sometimes you meet someone like, oh, this guy's kind of cool or this girl's kind of cool, whatever. I'm going to pick up this book and check it out or this team or whatever. Yeah. And then when you pick it up, maybe out of a potential small sense of obligation and then read it and it's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. this yeah. is sweet, <laughs> you know. Yeah. It's like, how did I not know about this book until now? You know, that's, that's a really – that's a huge win. That's just a, a that happened like thing. twice. I'd say that happened twice out of that one show where, after I found the book, one book uh, by this guy Kevin Briones, and it's called Neon Black, and it's an, oh. Uh, oh, it's just it's a sci-fi kind of fantasy story, but uh, he watercolors and all that stuff mixed in with his digital, and it's just stunning. Like it's right up my alley, right. And I was like, how the hell have I not heard of this? And then I checked it out online after having bought it and everything. And uh, I guess every other person in Ontario had heard of this but me, you know. Meanwhile, <laughs> I'm Mr. Podcaster over here. So it's the coolest when that happens, you know. Right. That, that, book, that You said that's an online comic too? No, it's not. Uh, oh, it's, it's not. Okay. It's a print comic, but I mean, I just like I checked out the Facebook page and his Twitter right. after I had like met the guy. Because what I often do at these shows is I'll go in and I'll buy a bunch of books and then I'll go chill and read them and then I'll go talk to the guys, right? Just so I have a little bit of an idea of what's sure, going on. Sure, 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 sure. And uh, I did that. I've done that before, but with this guy too. And I just it was one of those books that I just fell in love with the second I like read it, and I was like, this is absolutely incredible. I was like, how have I not heard of this? And all my friends were like, yeah, how have you not heard of this, Jay? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so there's a lot, man. It all, sometimes they slip by, you know? So. Yeah, well, it's funny because you mentioned that book, and I'm like, I think I've heard of that somehow, but I'm not sure how. But, uh, yeah, but like you said, I mean, th there's so many books out there and stuff like that. Sometimes it is definitely tricky to, to uh, be aware of everything that's out there and stuff like that, but. That's awesome. That's cool. That's great that you get to discover that stuff. And and I'm real curious to see if in the next couple of years, if more conventions, because, you know, I, I, it's funny. I was just right before we, we jumped on the, I would say the phone here, some old fashioned. But uh, <laughs> I, I was thinking about, uh, I was writing my newsletter and I was thinking like, how many shows have I done in 2016? And I went through and counted and uh by the end of November, um, I'll have done 31 conventions and signing appearances. So you took it easy this year. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I was, I was, I was, it was a little slow year for me. But 31. Yeah, yeah. yeah I thought it was, I thought it was close to 30, and then it ended up being 31. And I'm like, Jesus. And so 31 flavors of Dirk, man. Right, exactly. There's like the 1331 symmetry, 31 flavors. Sadly, I'm one flavor. It's just regret, <laughs> regret, pain, and, uh, and, 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 and mint, and mint sprinkles. Um, are you, are you good that we're rolling then? Are we going? Yeah, we, man. Let's just, on the let's, show because could, I have to say before we get too into anything else, congratulations, yeah. man. 
Well, thank you. Because there's Kickstarters and then there's Kickstarters. And you have had many Kickstarters and, you know, traveled that road extensively. But this, of course, is a special Kickstarter for various reasons. And, uh, of course, it's going gangbusters. And I just want to say congrats, man. I know this Kickstarter in particular is kind of the culmination of a lot of years of work. And, uh, you know, obviously people want it. So good times. Thank you. Yeah, I, um, I'm pretty humbled. You know, um, the other thing I did right before we got on the air was I, I checked and, uh, <laughs> we just hit our 300th backer, um, on the Nightmare World Omnibus. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we are less than, we are, we are, we are less than at this moment, um, $500 away from unlocking the leather bound variant. Over the Nightmare World Omnibus. You told uh, you told me about that so long ago. <laughs> like uh-huh. It was forever ago. You had this dream of doing this leather bound omnibus. Now yeah. you're less than five hundred dollars away. <laughs> How's that? <Yeah. laughs> That's great, man. I, I uh, yeah, <laughs> it, it's you know it's funny because. I told a very few people about my, my idea of doing this at some point. You know, right. you, uh, a couple of the creators, uh, Josh Ross, who's done the most Nightmare World stories of anyone and went on to do Tales of Mystery Volume 1. Um, Jacob Way from Kraken Printing. Um, the first time I met him when he was talking to me, he was pitching me the idea that, you know, he prints books and things like that. I'm like, all right. And he used to show me these custom books they can print and stuff like that. And I didn't know the guy from Adam. And Jacob's become one of my, my dear friends. Uh, and I said to him, could you do an omnibus? He goes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes, and I said, here's the thing. <laughs> One day, and I said, this is a couple of years out, but I want to make a run at this. I said, uh, and this goes back to what we were talking about a moment ago. I said, I'm going to be hitting the road really hard these next couple of years and really getting the word out about my books out and things like that and letting people more, more than people know across the, the country and about my books and things like that. And I said, in a couple of years, I want to make a run at doing a Nightmare World omnibus, but I want it to be leather bound. Can you do? Can you do that? He goes, Yeah, yeah. That, that. He goes, Yeah, we could do that totally. Blah blah blah. And I said, Okay. I said, Can I have your card? And he, <laughs> <laughs> and now you know it's a couple, several years later, and about gosh, probably about three or four years later. Um, and, and he just reminded me that the other day when I called him. You know, we were talking about the book and, and things like that. And he goes, you know, the first time we met, you brought this up, that this was like the thing that you wanted to do someday. And I've printed a couple of books with him in the meantime now. But, um, yeah, yeah, man. Uh, I've been I've – been, <laughs> I've been, I've been live streaming on Facebook every time we unlock a stretch goal. And like crazy. <laughs> I, well, yeah, this is – this is we've unlocked 12. So if we unlock leather – the leather-bound variant and uh, the 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 member old omnibus, you know, being leather-bound, will be the thirteenth stretch goal, which was totally apropos. Wow! And uh, yeah, are you going to let it be at that point, or are you going to keep going? I, I was on the phone with um, uh, Josh Blaylock from Devil's Do, who's publishing the book with me uh, last night. Um, I did a show this past weekend. Go figure. And driving home, I, I called him, and I said, look, man, I said, we have, you know, about 16 days, a little over two weeks, so we're about halfway through the campaign right now, um, not even halfway through. <laughs> and 
I, I, I said, there's a good chance we're going to unlock the Leatherbound variant. And I said, we need to talk if we're going to do a round four. Um, and the thing is, like, the way I set up the round three stretch goals uh, on the campaign, and people can go to Kickstarter and just put in Nightmare World and they'll see the campaign and see all the stuff we offer with it. Um, right now, if you were to pledge for an omnibus, and it's a, and I guess I should tell you what the book is. It's, it's basically it's a 500-page omnibus collecting Nightmare World Volume 1, 2, and 3, as well as Nightmare World Volume 4, which has never been printed. Right. Um, and I have the option of the campaign. People can just get Volume 4 or they can get an omnibus of – all 52 stories. 52 stories. Jesus. Yes. Yeah, yeah. The whole saga reshuffled, rema- you know, kind of remastered, you know, like the director's sure. cut. Right, right. And one big giant hardcover omnibus. Well, we've been locking, unlocking stretch goals as we go, and the tagline's been, you know, no life till leather. Um, so we've unlocked so far um, – a signed a book plate, a full color book plate signed by me and then the cover artist Kristen Perry. Um, we've unlocked four audiobook versions of stories. So like every every trade paperback, because every trade paperback contained thirteen stories. Right. And at the end of every trade paperback, there's a pro story, a two page pro story written by me. So we're gonna do audiobook digital downloads of those stories. Like I'm gonna narrate one and have some other people, you know, narrate other ones. Oh, that's cool, man. I'm glad you feel that way. We're going to talk about that hopefully later. Ooh. And uh, maybe off the air, you and I will chat about that a little bit. Um, spoilers, teaser. Exciting. Yeah, so um, then, um, so you get the, the that you get a digital download of a short Nightmare World live action film that was recorded. You get a eleven. Wait, what? 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 A live action film. Yeah. When the hell did that happen? I haven't heard of this. Surprise! <laughs> there is um the the the. Oh, is it new? Is it newly done? Or? No, it, it it was done a year or so ago, a couple of years ago tops. Um, okay. Austin McKinley, who illustrated the the Nightmare World uh, short story "Life in a Glass House," which is the green science fiction story from Volume One. It's about a, a miner who uh, is on another planet. And he wakes up, and he's no longer in the, 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 the camp. And he only has a very limited amount of oxygen left in his suit. And he's got to try to get back to the camp before he runs out of air. Um, Austin McKinley, who illustrated the story, is also a very accomplished filmmaker. And he did a live-action adaptation of that story he drew. Oh, that's cool, man. Yeah. So people now, by pledging for the omnibus, get a free digital download of that movie. As well as the four audio books, the four audio book short stories, a, signed, a book plate signed by me and cover artist Kristen Berry, and then an 11 by 17 um, print of the Nightmare World Omnibus cover. So the blue cover of Vanessa, the, the, the Cthulhu right. tentacle face girl in the hot tub. Yeah, it's a 11 by 17 print of that signed by her and I. And now, and then we got that, those are the first two rounds of stretch goals. Now we got into round. <laughs> Now we're in the round three. So at this point, every hardcover will have a ribbon bookmark in it. It will have a gold lettering on the cover, and it'll have gold gilded edges on the gold gilded pages, Ooh. like the gold edging. Fancy. It, yeah, and we are as I as I as I speak to you at this moment, I'm four hundred and ninety dollars away uh, in the next sixteen days from the. Omnibus becoming leather-bound, uh, which means – and it will become then the Nightmare World Bible variant. 
and you'll only get the Bible edition through the Kickstarter. It's nice. Yeah, so yeah, uh, that's I, nice. <laughs> I can't wait to see it, man. It's gonna look beautiful. Oh yeah, yeah, and like I said, people have to get this one through Kickstarter. Um, otherwise, like the one we'll release in stores down the road and things like that will just be the standard blue, like the the black omnibus that they see on the on the, right, on the campaign. Right, right. right. And, and honestly, in comic shops, it's gonna be more than fifty five bucks. And you won't get all the extra cool stuff with it. And you definitely will get the leather-bound edition. So this is my pay-it-forward to the people who want to help us fund the book and make it happen, you know. Um, and th- this Kickstarter is a sight to behold, man. Like, uh, to have followed it and watched <laughs> the stretch goals and, you know, just the way this one's set up, it's 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 definitely a step up, you know what I mean? Like, man, you've got so much experience doing these now, like... You well, can, you can pack so much in there. You've just you figured out how to play it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, well, part of it is you know I genuinely want to pay it forward to the people that make this possible, right. and uh, which goes goes back to the conversation I was having with Josh Blaylock yesterday with with are we going to do round four stretch goals? Because really, getting the leather bound edition of the book is pretty incredible. I mean that especially getting a five hundred page That's hard to top, man. It is, but not impossible. So, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Let me ask you though about the film that he, that was made. Yeah, did, yeah, did, yeah. Was that one of your stories then? Yeah, yeah. That's a story from Nightmare World. Uh, it, it's uh, if you read Nightmare World Volume One, because you the wrote film, them all. You wrote. You've written every story. Every wrote, story. Every, all fifty-two right, right. stories. Yep. So I yep. just didn't know I could ever consider you a screenwriter as well. I actually have also written uh, short films for Black Box TV, which is a YouTube-exclusive horror channel. Um, I did a short film for them called The Hunger, which, really? yeah, I, I, I've got, yeah, so, yeah I, I've done a lot. <laughs> um, I'm mainly a comic guy, but yeah, uh, it, it, you can go to YouTube and look up uh, Black Box TV, The Hunger. It was the first two-part film uh, that Tony Valenzuela with Black Box TV ever did. And the one of the main actors in the film was the guy that played Uncle Rico in Napoleon Dynamite. Awesome. <laughs> and Drew Daywalt directed it, who's gone on to be a very, very famous, uh, well-known author. Uh, he's a director as well, but he did a uh, book, children's book called The Day the Crayons Quit. Okay. And, and uh, yeah, so yeah, I, I've actually yeah written screenplays. Um, that was an experience. I'll tell you what, people that think, I want to write comics to write movies one day. It is. That's like saying I want to learn how to scuba dive, so I'm going to go. I'm going to go uh, skydiving. Right. It's a right. whole different animal, and uh, yeah, it, it was an experience in and unto itself to, to to write a screenplay for the first time. And and honestly, I just like writing comics a lot better. So <laughs> sure, sure. No, Casey and I, uh, Miss Casey Pierce, was on the other day. We were chatting yep. and. Uh, we were kind of discussing the same thing about how just going from like pieces of madness and just you know writing her novella and having to make that transition into comics is you know it's a whole other mindset because I don't know have, you've read Nora too probably issue oh, two absolutely absolutely and it is such a step up for her like the the control and restraint that I saw her use I've never seen her use quite before on anything she's written. And she really like held it, you know, and she really let it be a comic book. And, you know, she really relied on the relationship between her dialogue and, and the pictures, you know. And we had a whole conversation about that and how she's starting to see it differently, you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and even with me, it's one of those things where when I do the um, 
the pro stories at the back of uh, Nightmare World, and then uh, with Tales of Mystery, they've gotten even considerably longer. It's fun to flex that muscle a little bit, but at the end of the day, I just love the medium of of comics so much that that that's like the because people ask me all the time, and, and it's funny, and I don't think people quite mean for it to be as maybe insulting as it is. It probably sometimes. Uh, <laughs> comes out to you but they're like oh well you ever gonna write like a a book that's not a comic and uh i'm like well i I could i've written many prose short stories at the back of the emerald books the back of the tales of mystery books um things like that i I have some other prose things you know i mean i wrote right or wrong which is a prose book you know but I, i said ultimately like i love comics I love the medium of comics. That's what I like to write in, you know, and that, yeah. that's what I enjoy. So Beyond um, that as well, I know you well enough to even know you love the culture, you love the people, you love, you know, as much as it's work for you and you are out there busting your ass, it's not like you're not having fun at these cons, you know, hanging out with the people and doing the thing. Well, yeah. right, right. Well, it comes back to like what we were talking about a minute ago. I did 31 shows this year. Yeah, yeah. It's work, but it's it's fun work. And it's interesting to see the culture and be involved at this level with the medium that I love and the culture that I love and the industry exactly, that I love. yeah. You know, I think we were talking about a minute ago, you were talking about the show you were, you were doing about how um, – Wow! Bring it. Look at this. Look at me. Look at us bringing it around this way. You talking about how the, the show you were at was all original work. Yes. It had to be original work. And, and what I was getting at a minute ago was I'm real curious to see if more and more conventions are going to start to swing that way. A couple have instead. You know, if we see you making prints of things that aren't your own, or if you're copying other people's work, we're going to ask you to take it down. Or we're going to throw you out. I think that's a very bold move and, and arguably a necessary one to help well I can't say necessary that's not that's not genuine because ultimately with the conventions ultimately want to make money and they will just sell tables but but I think it I think it's a very a very good and healthy move to make um, when you have people that just make prints of work that's not theirs and 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 crowd out the creators um, there's a lot of people that like prints and I get it and uh, and I have nothing against people that make prints, you know. It's like some of my friends make prints, some of my best right, friends right. make prints. But there's also a difference between making a a print that you drew of original stuff and making a print of something that's not yours yes. and and selling it. Um, I have an issue with it, you know. Um, yeah. yeah, I think maybe I don't know if it needs to be actual because everything's such a gray area and everybody has different morals and ethics and opinions sure. when it comes to all these things. I wonder if somebody should just like these cons could just write their own rules. I know a lot of them let it be because you know they kind of take the attitude of oh well if the companies want to come in here and enforce it they are more than welcome to do so. But, you know, right now we're more worried about, like, our height requirements for displays and shit. Like, I hear that a lot, right? Well, see, and that's an issue too, though, you know, because, like, if I'm in a row and the person next to me puts up something on their table that's four or five feet high and it boxes out people's view of me, right? they're not going to – if they can't see me till they're right in front of me, and they're already on sensory overload because that's the other thing. You know, I did 31 – I'll have done 31 signings and conventions by the end of this year. Um, and, and I did about that many – I did like 20-some last year. In the last couple of years, I've done at least 25 shows a year, I believe. Um, we're used to the sensory overload. 
Right. A lot of people aren't. So yeah, you got to be cool with each other, and and, and you're right. They kind of got to do you know enforce that stuff and worry about that stuff but as what well. If, There's what a lot if they to took it. those certain rules that they have with those other guidelines and maybe applied some sort of rules to like uh, other people's intellectual properties? Because maybe they're like, okay, look, you can't mass produce prints of just like Harley and the Joker, and you're good, and you know have representatives there selling work for you, or you know that's just like a mass produced you know factory. Minded outlook on it, but well, well, let's call you know, it what but it is. I, it's, it's bootlegging, right? But I don't have a problem <laughs> with say commissions. Like if I ask someone no, to do a commission of a character, bit. right? Like that's kind of a different either. thing, right? I don't. I, I I think it is too. And, and and different people will have different stances on this. But here's my view: if you've honed your craft to the point where someone comes up to you and says, I like your style. I like what yes, you do. Yes, they so, want to see your version of something. A version of yeah. the Joker and Harley Quinn drawn by you. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Because you sit there, you draw it for them, they're paying you for your talent. Yeah. And that's not to say that it doesn't take talent to make a, a really beautiful piece of art and make a print of it. I get that too. I truly get that. However, when you are mass producing one copy of one picture you made of stuff that's not your own, you know, just make prints of stuff you've drawn yourself. Just make your own damn shit, people. Right. And I realize I'm talking about this very hot button topic in the middle of a Kickstarter campaign somewhere in the world. Like my publisher, if I had to call, you know, was going to like, like, shut up, shut up, shut up. But I mean, and again. Some of my dearest friends and my my traveling buddies and stuff like that, they 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 supplement their income to feed their their families and 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 make their living doing sure. this. Sure. And I okay, I mean I want everyone to eat and stuff like that, but to me it's a thing where it's like we can do better. You know, we can do better, and and I, I think what's important is that we make prints of uh, if you can do prints, do prints of things that are yours that you own of your characters. And if you're going to say, well, people won't buy prints of my character, we'll change that. Yeah, you yeah. know, Absolutely. Out, that's uh, what it comes down to. That's like, the core of it. Or, or like you could draw anything in your imagination. You, you know, I mean, I have this dilemma a lot. You know, in my comic work, um, a lot of my comic work. Um, I, I, I've taken, I've derived stuff from like the mythos of H.P. Lovecraft, you know, Cthulhu and stuff like that. And Lovecraft, even when he was alive, before this stuff fell into public domain, uh, the, um, really encouraged other people to go into his universe and play with it. And clearly I do. I'm a big Cthulhu fan. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, right up, don't have to invite me twice. It's like, hey, just want to get ice cream? Don't have to invite me twice. You know, <laughs> so, but the flip side of that is, I've never put Cthulhu on a banner behind me. I know if I did, I would make more sales at every show because it would draw people in. But to me, it's just that thing where it crosses that line where it's like, I don't want a big Cthulhu banner behind me because I didn't make Cthulhu. my guy. He's like on loan. You know, it's like, it's freeware. It's ideological freeware. But I just, can't so instead i've got the big picture of i got the, it the scarf guy and my guy's picture of dirk manning is what it is you know yeah yeah so, i don't know i mean it, it is what it I, is i feel you man I, I totally feel you it's uh i think it was I mean, the smart got, move 
<laughs> right. Well, at the end of the day, we all got to make our own decisions. We got to live with them. But uh, but I do applaud uh, conventions that are starting to take sta- stances against. Uh, even if it's just the blatant bootlegging, like when people take a pre-existing piece of art from someone else and put a filter on it and print yeah. make prints of it, it's like you're a re- you know you're a real piece of crap. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's you are a true bootlegging. You get the hell out of there. So <laughs> pure thievery. All right, let's talk about uh, less controversial things then. Yeah, sorry. We, now that I've alienated, we don't want to have to pay the, the devil's due. <laughs> Yeah. Now listen, yeah, yeah. how many artists over the 52 stories have contributed? I, you know what? Uh, someone asked me that the other day. I have a chance to go through and count yet. You I think don't know that number. Well, here's the reason I don't know anymore. <laughs> because when we when I did the the 13 stories in Nightmare World Volume Four, um, I, I I wrote some new stories. And I brought in some new artists and things like that, which was really important to me to do that. I brought in artists I've never, I brought in artists I've never worked with before. I brought in some new faces. I remastered some of the stories. But we're looking at a good probably 20 artists, uh, different artists from top to bottom, including myself. Right on, right on. You've drawn for in a volume? I have not drawn. No, no, no. no. You just no. mean artist is in the artistry of your writing. Well, well 20, 20 other artists, not probably not including myself. Um, you know, pencilers, inkers, colorists, right. letterers—you name it. You know, I mean, a good, a good twenty. Right, um, right. Are you a fan of anthologies? Good ones. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I think one of the things about anthologies, and one of the reasons I started Nightmare World was, anthologies were often kind of became seen as like the the bottom rung of comics when I when I started Nightmare World in the early two thousands, like anthologies were the bottom rung and horror was even below. I don't know what was lower in most uh, editors' eyes, horror or anthologies. But I'm like, that's my jam, man. You know, I mean, you got shows like The Twilight Zone or uh, now Black Mirror, two of the Best shows. I mean, I would say Twilight Zone is probably one of the best television shows of all time, and Black Mirror I think is one of the best modern uh, television shows, and and they're anthologies. And I love the format. I love the approach. I love them in theory, but not all anthologies are created equal. To make a good anthology, you really have to pay a lot of attention and really decide. We are going to get top tier stuff, and we're not going to be afraid to throw stuff out and replace it with something better. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. They're Wednesday. big here right now, eh? Yeah, yeah. Like Wednesday Comics is one that comes to mind of like a really great anthology. Everything in that anthology was just incredible. But you had top tier stuff across the board. Uh, you know, a little bit of a different style of an anthology. But uh, again, DC did another good one with um, Flinch, which was a big influence on, on me getting to do Nightmare World. Or your Tales from the Crypt stuff or, or things like that, you know. So there's – um, yeah, there's – I, I love I love a good anthology, but I've also read. I'm trying to look at my bookshelf right now. Other good anthologies I have: the Matrix anthology, the Matrix comic anthology was really solid. But uh, but Nightmare World, I I hope we're being in its definitive edition like that will stand the test of time as is one of the best ones. Absolutely, man. It's uh it's a weird time here, just right now in Toronto. It's it's anthology crazy and. I don't think it was planned this way, but there just happens to be like three or four right now that have come out or are coming out that have like just got amazing collections of people, you know. They're a great 
they're a great vehicle for people to at least get some some of their work out there, you know, and kind of just join the team for a bit. And... But that's exactly it. That that's what a good comic anthology should do. Absolutely. It should allow it should allow people to get their 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 toes in the pool, you know, a little bit and get experienced. One of the reasons I started Nightmare World was to give other artists a chance to show that they can create comics and the comics that we could create together. That's what we did. Every Nightmare World story is eight pages. Because, you know, eight pages isn't a monster commitment, no pun intended, but uh, it's a short commitment. We can decide, you know, we can do a story and get out. There's some artists I worked with one time. There's some I worked with five or six or seven times. Josh Ross is one. We worked together on multiple Nightmare World stories, and he did all of Tales of Mystery Volume 1 together, which was another 13 eight-page stories on top of everything he did in Nightmare World, you know. He's one of my best friends now, you know. Um, so yeah, anthologies. I whenever I do right or wrong panels and things like that, I tell people all the time, find out about anthologies, do stories in anthologies. Uh, my friend uh, Sarah Benkin did a wonderful anthology called "Then It Was Dark," of all real life ghost stories. Uh, I just, think I've I know of that one. I think yeah, I have it yeah. on my tape usually because I did a story in it. Uh, I might have bought it. I think you may have. Yeah, I did a story in there. Uh, me, you are uh, your better half. May have bought it. One of you, I think, did. Yeah, yeah. And um, I think it was uh, it, it's a great anthology. And I did a story in there about like uh, when I was in New Orleans and a, a real paranormal experience I had. Uh, you know, so Howie Knoll did a great anthology with his new Terranormal book. You know, I mean, well, but you got to do it deliberately. You got to get top level talent, yeah, and involved and really decide. We're, we're going to put out this high-grade, high-level book where every story, maybe even if it's not exactly your cup of tea, but you can respect there's a great story. Right, right, right. Well, that's why I was recommending to you that one uh, recently ago that just came out here, Hogtown Horror. Yep, yep, and I remember that. Yeah, that's on my list of things to look up here when I get off the road in a couple of weeks. So, so nice. And they brought together some of the best toronto has the offer but beyond that the 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 love and fun that went into this book is just it's exceptional to me uh they they went uh they went with like newsprint for the pages like it's not quite like 80s comic newsprint but it's a very yeah. pulp, like it's like a pulpy matted feel oh, and I love it. I love it. it just suits it so much and there's one page at the end of one of the stories in this book by christopher yao and sam noir nice the last page i audibly gasped and turned my head away (laughs) i'm not even kidding i went ah and turned my head i couldn't believe what i was looking at notice something else you said too like the paper stock and the feel of it. That's one of the things I've had a couple of people ask me, can we get a digital version of the Nightmare World Omnibus? And I say, no. You can get all four trade paperbacks digitally, which is the same content as the Omnibus, but the Omnibus is a thing. It's a physical book, and I'm not going to do a digital version, or at least I don't plan on doing a digital version of the Omnibus. You can get all four volumes, that's fine. But I want the omnibus itself to be a book and be a thing and the gold gilded pages and the (laughs) and all this stuff and you can pick it up and just look at it and and club a zombie with it if you need to love (laughs) it yeah that's great that's pure that's pure and beautiful man it's love there's love for the book you know i'm talking right now 
surrounded by hundreds of books in my office, you know, I mean, just the books on the floor and books on the desk and bookshelves everywhere. Just, yeah, I mean, it's that that's my uh, I'm in my happy place. You know, (laughs) what is your reading to writing ratio? I read every day. Um, I take that back. I read almost every day. Uh, Almost. It's really the exception that I don't read something. Uh, writing, uh, sometimes it's just because of my work schedule and things like that. There may be a week I don't get to write at all, but then there'll be like, uh, you know, like if I'm doing like back to back to back conventions, writing is difficult. So maybe instead I'm doing project, what I call project management, uh, for the things I have written, you know, like getting art pages shifted around, things like that, editing scripts for artists, things of that nature. Um, but normally when I'm not, you know, doing like a really heavy touring cycle, I write a couple days a week uh, for a couple hours at least. Uh, like Saturday's a big writing day for me. It's like I'll write until dinner time. You know, I'll get up in the morning and just write. Uh, Sunday I'll get up and edit and write most of the day usually. Um, and then a lot of times a couple of evenings, you know, I'll write and things like that. But it's almost it's almost impossible a day goes by I don't read something. Right. If I don't have books in the house I haven't read, I get antsy. You know, I always <laughs> have to have a book ready. And a couple different books, because maybe I want to read the new Joe Hill book. Maybe I want to read this like this Harlan Ellison book that I haven't read yet. Or maybe I want this graphic novel or this comic or whatever. So I always have to have something I haven't read. And usually a couple somethings. Um and usually I'll have at least two different books going at once. Usually I have like a prose book and a graphic novel going at one time. You know, that way I can kind of alternate depending on what I want to do. Right, right. Do you have a favorite novel? <sighs> Depends on the day. Um, Let me ask you this in a different way then. Not necessarily like your favorite novel in terms of favorite story, but is there a novel that say you read when you were younger that is just the definitive book for you? Like if someone had to say you're stuck on this island, here's your book. What is the book? You know what I mean? Well, I'll twist the question again, and I can say the most influential books I ever read. Okay. Um, because like my favorite, like when someone says like, "What's your favorite novel?" I think my my most favorite novel in recent memory has to probably be Heart Shaped Box by Joe Hill. Okay. Uh, Joe Hill is Stephen King's son. Yeah. Um, and it's a book about a guy that buys a ghost on the internet, and it's such a fast paced book. And I, but I love all of Joe's stuff. I just got done reading earlier this year, The Fireman, his newest novel. Incredible writer, but. Um, the, the novels I think that influenced me the most, and, and again I'm going to veer into uh, an area of controversy for a moment in a moment here. Animal Farm was one of those books that just wrecked me when I was younger. Nice. Uh, yeah, that was one that I read it, and it just really just you know just just changed me. Love the Harry Potter novels. Absolutely love the Harry Potter books. Um, unabashed fan. Not very big fan of the movies. I haven't even seen most of the movies because the ones oh. I've seen, I, I'm just – it wasn't – I loved those movies. Just see, they yeah. made me feel 13, man. Oh, see, that was, to me that was the books. Um, right. And I 
uh, I was talking to a buddy of mine that lives uh, one of the Nightmare Old artists, Austin McKinley, who did the Life in a Glass House short film as well, and 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 colored half of Mystery Volume One, and done coloring work for Nightmare World, has drawn several Nightmare World stories, doing a new one for Volume Four. Um, he lives in Florida, and we were talking about this. How I love the books. I saw a couple. I saw the first movie and bits of a couple of the others, and they're okay. And like Alan Rickman's incredible, and Daniel Radcliffe's incredible, and stuff like that. And yeah, but just at best, it's an outline. But that being said, when I went to Florida last year and uh, got to go to uh, Universal Studios, right. And when I turned the corner and walked into Diagon Alley, yeah, <laughs> love it, man. I was like, yeah. wow. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I can't I got to, wait, man. Yo, know, and I got to drink butter beer, which is not alcoholic. It's like a butterscotch frappuccino thing. Which I was like, I was like, I and literally, I was like, I've waited my whole life for this moment. <laughs> and my, I, I would my my parents and stuff. My mom's like, uh, you know, oh, I don't, it, it's really gross. Like you shut your mouth. Whatever like, you look. drank it, yeah. and I and I tried it. And I was like, oh, oh that's awesome, but, man. So yeah, so um, the Harry Potter novels I, I unabashedly love, and I don't think J.K. Rowling gets nearly enough credit. And and this is a, a trick I, I kind of I guess was influenced by her and borrow from her um, when I write Tales of Mystery. How well she manipulates the reader by letting you by. By by having you see everything through Harry's eyes, right? Oh. And, and sometimes you like people you shouldn't, and you hate people you shouldn't. Oh no, I haven't read the books, but I that comes across huge in the movies. I totally yeah. know what you're saying. Yeah, you're given like you know misdirection and misinterpretation all the time because you only see it from one point right. of view. Absolutely, and the, and the books that's ex- that 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 that's very much. Ex- you know, you know, even more so, right? Uh, exponentially more so. And I like to do that in mystery as well because we see everything through mystery's eyes, which is something I had a lot of fun with. Especially when I did Volume Three, I, I get to have a lot of fun with that. Right. But um, the other book that really pretty profoundly affected me, and this is going to probably shock a lot of people when I say this one, I and let me preface this by saying I don't agree with everything in this novel, but it definitely caused me to think about a lot of things quite a bit. And that was The Fountainhead by uh, Ayn Rand. Okay. Uh, re- I know that's a book that became really like a political football, and, and not without good reason because of some real douchebag. Oh, yeah. Talked about that book being like their, 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 their mantra. But it's a, but it was one of those books that when I, I read it in uh, in college and it was like, some of the stuff this, this person's saying is insane. But there's also a lot of it that's very interesting. But I mean, ultimately, oh, yeah. if you extrapolate out her, I mean, her she was very hypocritical even about her own philosophy. But uh, but there's a lot in the book that really caused me to th- to, th- to think about a lot of things differently, and, and th- which is ultimately what you want a good book to do. Right. Um, another novel that I read recently, seen I get me thinking about that I really, really, really haunts me is uh, a novel called House of Leaves. Okay. Uh, and it's about a house. It's a book about a documentary about a house that the owners find out it's bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. And, and that's this, a, that's this is fiction? <laughs> you got to read the book. Oh, uh, okay. Well, <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I, mean, ultimately, I mean, ultimately it is 
fiction, but like so, I just but, didn't know if it was like on a like based on a case of you know no or something. no you know no, what it, I mean that fiction, kind of thing yeah yeah it's a fictional novel but it's a book about a book about a a documentary and there's like three or four things going on at once and uh, it's just really an intense pardon my French but mindfuck of a read right uh, on <laughs> it just really screws with you as you read it um. What kind of stuff did you read when you were younger? When you were a kid, what were you reading? Like when you made that, you know, kids make that jump from like kids' books to actually starting to read, like, yeah, yeah. like books. Oh gosh, Ray my mom got me. Uh, sorry, my mom got me a set of classics when I was like maybe seven or eight, mm-hmm. and it had all like Moby Dick and Last yes. Mohicans and yes. uh, Call of the Wild and. Uh, Oliver Twist, David Copperfield, and I just I soaked it up. I was so in love. I read all those those stories, and they just you know, they just stuck with me forever. Yeah, it's good to read that stuff when you're young, you know. Yeah, and I read some abridged versions of some of those, like Moby Dick and stuff like that. It was was pretty huge, pretty big one for me. But the, my go tos were like Ray Bradbury, uh, horror anthologies. You know, like the best horror of this year, blah blah blah. And then have like a, like a, uh, 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 a Clyde Barker story in there, and okay. maybe Stephen King story in there. Right, right. And a, um, oh my God, why am I blanking out on um, Joe Lansdale story or Harlan Ellison story? But like Ray Bradbury was a huge one for me. Edgar Allan Poe was a huge one for me. Harlan Ellison was a big one for me. Um, and then Stephen King obviously was was huge. I remember when I was a kid, and I thought my mom was a traitor when she's like, because she read Stephen King all growing up, uh-huh. and I would I, and then she'd pass the book to me when she was done with it. That's why I read sure. a bunch of his books. Yeah, and uh, I she she jumped to Dean Koontz. Oh, <laughs> and I was I remember I was young and I felt like you're a traitor. How could you not read? How you know? How could you do yeah. this? <laughs> you know, and it's interesting you bring that up because I've never read a Dean Koontz book. Yeah, me neither. Yeah, so you do not principal. I've just never never done it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not opposed to it. No offense. I just have never. No, 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 no. That was but I've read... like I was young, young. I remember I read it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stephen King's It, I read over the summer of going into grade six. Yep. And it took me like a month of my summer. That's like an 1,100-page book. Oh, I know. Oh, believe me. I, yeah. yeah. And the cover just had the the, 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 the the green spider claw hand coming out of the sewer yeah. on it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah my, my big – I mean I, I was a huge Stephen King fan. I loved uh, Skeleton, uh, Skeleton Crew and Night Shift and his short story collections were, were a lot of my favorite stuff. But – um, I loved the dark half, Shining. Uh, yeah, yeah. The Stand was like my one big summer read, like the big book you read in the summer. One of them was uh, for me was The Stand. Uh, that was a really, really good one. Uh, one I really enjoyed um, until the very end. I'm like, really? That's the end? I don't and, know and, the story. I have to uh, either watch it's, it or it's, read it. It's about a virus that <laughs> right, right. decimates the earth and becomes a battle of good versus evil and. You know, it's a very Stephen King. He has very you know, Deus Ex Machina endings, where like he he does he writes great books with very convenient endings, and none more flagrantly so than I think than in The Stand. Um, 
but but yeah, Stephen King was like my jam, and, and you know, and, and even the last couple of years, I, I've read Doctor Sleep, which was the sequel to The Shining. Uh, I read the one about the Kennedy. Uh, the, the, the I apologize, I'm a terrible American. I don't know the I don't remember the day that Kennedy was assassinated, but eleven twenty two sixty three or whatever it was. Right. Kennedy assassination book about the guy that tries to go back in time to stop the Kennedy assassination. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know what I just read about Stephen King just the other day. Because Erin, she's been catching up on watching Sons of Anarchy. Right, right. And I'm totally one of those, like, husbands who comes in and is, like, halfway through the show or whatever episode she's watching. It's like, who's that guy? What did you do with that? What are you doing? Right, right, right. right. You had to pause it to explain everything. Yeah, Yeah, right. Yeah, and I'm like, no, it's okay, you know. So I was out, I was outside, and I decided to IMDB it. And, you know, I love IMDb. I'm huge on the trivia. I just, I'll I'll read it for hours. And uh, I'm just reading up on Sons of Anarchy. And it turned out Stephen King was on Sons of Anarchy. Yes, he was. And he played Bachman. Yep. Yep. His His pet name. His pet name was Richard Bachman. And uh, I just thought that was cool. I guess he was just a big fan or whatever. But I just read that the other day. You knew that then? Yeah, I've seen the show, uh, and I saw him in it, and he was Bachman. I was just dying. Yeah, I was like, wow, because he did the Bachman books, Thinner. uh, Was it Thinner, The Long Walk or The Walk? Running uh, Man. Wasn't Stand By Me originally a Bachman book? Stand By Me. Yeah, yeah, those were the, yeah, those were the. I think he did four of the four Bachman books. Those were the four. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Man. But it was originally called. Uh, it wasn't originally called Stand by Me. It was called uh, something else. You've read the, the Dark it Towers. The body. It was called the yes, body. you're right. It was called the Body. Yes. Um, you uh, you've read the Dark Tower series. Right? I have not. That's my list of things to do. when I I read. Uh, what's the first one? I think it's called The Dark Tower, isn't it? Or, it is, yeah. The Dark Tower. I think it's the first one. Now, I tried to read it, but I was – that was one that I was like, I'm too young. I even knew. I think I said to myself, I'm too young to follow this one. Like I, right. My grasp just wasn't there yet of what was going on. So I'm kind of interested to try it again if that's how I felt then. Yeah. It wasn't often I tried to read a book that I was like, I'm not understanding this. Yeah. You know what I mean? They're so, on my list. I, I've wanted to read them. I know uh, Marvel put out the Stephen King adaptation, the graphic novel adaptations. And I've thought about looking at some of that stuff. Or I think it's like a prequel or in between. Now they're making a movie or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And it's like, but that, that's just that's a. I like Stephen King enough that that's something that's on my list of things I want to commit to when I have a little more time. Is, right. is to read. Though that would be like like the Island book that I would want to take. It's like, well, give me the Dark Tower. I've never read the series. You know, yeah. or give me the give me the songs of fire and ice, and you know, give me the books that I I haven't read yet. Those are the books I guess I'd want on the island with me, which it'd be much to my chagrin if I didn't like them. But uh, have you yeah. read any of those like fantasy like type classics? Have you read Lord of the Rings or any Tolkien or not in not in its entirety? I've dabbled in some of that stuff here and there, but ultimately I've always been more of a speculative fiction and, and specifically a horror guy. Um, right a lot yeah, of us, yeah. that stuff. I love the Lord of the Rings movies, the trilogy. Uh, if we get the extended editions, uh, as they're meant to be, I think they're great, even if they're long. The Hobbit movies, not so much, but <laughs> the written ones were were very, very, very well done. Um, but I'm not a huge fantasy guy per se. So it's just it was never quite my jam. Uh, sure, although one sure. of my favorite children's books was Sir Toby Beasley's uh, 
or Toby Jingles Beasley, Beasley Journeys, which is a little fun fantasy book. But uh, but by and large, that's not my. Have not my you thing. ever heard of Robert Munch? Yes. Uh, Canadian children's author. Mm-hmm. I don't know ja- why. I know the uh, name. Jacob Tutu and the Hooded Fang. That was Maybe probably yeah, his most. Well, anyways, he was wrote these incredible uh, paper bag princess or something something in the paper bag princess. But anyways, yes. he was a, yes. he was a he was a Canadian children's author, but he also spent most of his time traveling from school to school to library to library, just telling his own stories. But he was incredibly animated. And made the sound effects. He was just yeah, like he just loved of, the story. Yeah, oh yeah, just one of the greatest kids like storytellers you could ever see. And this and his books are just phenomenal. They're still being, you know, he's not around anymore. I don't, I don't think is he? I'm not sure, but uh, you know, they're still making like TV shows and cartoons out of his books here and stuff. But I just wondered if you're, if he made it over there or not. But I know the name, yeah. Just the legend here. And yeah, just, I said the Paper yeah. Princess. I think is. Like I said there's been cartoons or something like that. So. Yeah, totally. But uh, you know, one book I remember because I as a teenager I just read books. There wasn't so much, you know, other than like Sweet Valley High and whatever. There wasn't tons of like teen fiction back then and. But there was Christopher Pike. You know Christopher, Christopher Pike? Pike. Na- now, that one, the name sounds familiar. Total 90s teen fiction-like writer, right? And he he wrote a book called Remember Me. And it was about a kid who dies and is stuck as a ghost. And basically has to go through his life and, you know, follow his friends and figure out who murdered him because he was murdered. And, you know, it's kind of a straight-up story, but as a kid, I just remember reading this book and loving it and uh, finding out later that he was a pretty popular, like, uh, maybe it's Can- maybe he's Canadian, I don't know. I think about that stuff more now, but when I, th- I think back to younger, it doesn't occur to me. I just assume that, like, you know, everybody in North America would know what I know that's pulp culture, <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, uh, right, right. You know, he was popular with Christopher Pike, but uh, it was a cool, like, ghost story. I remember reading that and really enjoying it, but, you know. But the book for me of all books ever all is The Jungle Book. Oh, nice, nice. And uh, Rudyard Kipling and, man, that's it. My grandfather read me the second Jungle Book. Uh, because you know how there's like, there's the jungle book, which is some Mowgli stories, but also like a few other stories that mm-hmm. he wrote, but mm-hmm. then he took just the, the Mowgli stories and put them into their own omnibus, I guess, and, uh, called it the jungle book too. Right. And he read me that as a child and it, I read it my, I've read it myself at least three times and plan to read it to my son soon. But that book just, I, I, it's of all books I've ever read, it's where I've gone the furthest away, like the most deep into the book. Like I can smell the jungle. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. That's you know like your I mean? that's your go-to book. That's your jam. Yeah, that, it's totally my jam, man. It's just absolutely the one for me. So it's good times, man. It is, and that and that's you know we need the books like that. We need things like that. That those things define us. You know those those mm-hmm. that that that's important to have that and to be able to share that and things like that is is really powerful. So, 
And yeah, the effect it can have on you, you know. I mean, even as an author, when people come to me and start talking to me about mystery or nightmare world, and so many creators now talk about how nightmare world helped influence them to get involved in and making books and things like that, you know, it just that's got to feel so good. It's 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 humbling, yeah. You know, I mean, it it, it, it it's cool. Like I said, I mean, every time, even this past. Uh, this past weekend, I did a show, and someone brought me a book they did because uh, they said I helped them get started and things like that. And uh, every time, I almost want to like tear up, man. It's like <laughs> it's moving, you know, to know that yeah, yeah. you know I'm sitting here doing this thing, and then someone else looks up to you. And well, speaking, yeah, sorry, go on. No, I was say it's interesting. Even in like the, the the Michigan scene, especially several of the people that we know, you know, yeah. um, they 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 jokingly would call me sensei. <laughs> and I thought part of it's because I teach martial arts and stuff like that. I'm like, okay, okay, whatever. But then it's kind of like that realization you have, like, no, I am like a, a sensei to like this whole generation of creators, which is humbling and freaky. But then I'm like, God damn, when did I become the old guy? You know? Yeah, no, I <laughs> totally like, hear you, man. But then it's like, but then again, Nightmare World started in 2002. So, you know, it's like, wow, yeah, we are, we are, it's been a minute, you know, so it, it's been a generation of creators now that are looking up to, to me, just like I looked up to guys like Gary and stuff like that, you know, so. It's, uh, it, it's neat when you get to a point and you realize, because I mean, oh, how long have I been doing this show? I've been doing this show about five years. Uh-huh. And that's a that's a long fucking time to yes, be yes. podcasting, right? Absolutely. And, you know, I, I've helped and spawned, you know, other shows. I produce other shows for people or I help them get off their feet. And, you know, when people say silly things like the podfather and such, you, you kind of feel uncomfortable about it. But, you know, when you take it in once in a while, it's like, yeah, you've helped people do what they wanted to do that you were able to do. And... You know, kind of show them a path to get there. And speaking of which, we should definitely talk about Right or Wrong 2 a little bit. Oh, uh, boy. While we get late here. Um, right or Wrong 2. No, sure. The sequel of How to Do Shit. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Uh, there's two books I'm really going to work on doing this um, this winter. Um, Tales Mystery Volume 4 and then Right or Wrong Volume 2. Uh, I want to actually start putting the, the pen to paper, so to speak, on that. Uh, I know the format of the book. I know the shape of the book. I know what the book's going to be about. And and the crux of Right or Wrong Volume 2 is going to be okay. Right or Wrong Volume 1 is about how to go from I have the talent to making a book. Right. And a lot of people have come up to me now and made books because they read Right or Wrong. Right. Which is available on Amazon. So uh, with <laughs> – Sorry. Not sorry. Right. Not sorry at all. Not sorry at least. Don't be ever sorry yeah, for that. But with, with Right or Wrong Volume 2, it's going to be about, okay, now that you're making uh, – now you've made a book, now what? Right? Now yeah. what? Uh, how do you do conventions? How do you promote your book? How do you talk to editors? How do you keep yourself going? You know, how, you know what? what's the next step? How do you monetize this thing you made or – or at least not lose your ass. Or how do you deal with losing your ass on it when you make this book and then it goes nowhere? You know, so it's going to be a lot about you know now that you're making the book, what comes next? Um, right. How do you run a Kickstarter? You know, which obviously you know brings us full circle. But you know, all that stuff. Dude, you could write an entire book about kickstarting comics. Maybe you should do that too. Like make a oh, well, mini book, like a novella, like well, a little you know, pamphlet my, book. <laughs> my my rule with the right or wrong books is I want each one to be a definitive 
boom, here it is. And Kickstarter is definitely going to be a part of Right or Wrong Volume 2 and a decent part of it. But Kickstarter is not the be-all or end-all because at the end of the day, you either can run success – you can have books that will succeed on Kickstarter or you won't. Um, and you can do things to help your chances – and there's things you can do to hurt your chances. So that's going to be definitely a component of Right or Wrong Volume 2. But it's going to be about doing shows as well and convention etiquette and how to run a show and how to sure. balance out your budget on that and how to figure out where to print your books and how to print your books. Do you do print on demand? Do you do offset printing? How to talk to publishers? How to talk to editors? All that stuff. So I'm really excited about getting into that and offering up that book. That'll be great, man. That'll but be great. That, that's not to say that when I hit the road again in February, the book's going to be done. Not by any means, but I will be spending – I'm going to be off the road from uh, right after Thanksgiving. Uh, I'm doing uh, a signing this weekend. Uh, then I'm doing two signings. I'm doing a signing Black Friday and Small Business Saturday, the two days after Thanksgiving. And then I'm off the road till February. And uh, right, uh, Tales Mystery what? Volume 4. And then right what? Four. Dude, how are you going to handle that? I'm going to be writing. Tales of Mystery Volume Four, Right or Wrong Volume Two, as well as potentially <laughs> some other uh, projects I haven't really talked about yet. So, well, that's very, very exciting, man. That's awesome. I can't believe you're going to take that much time to not go anywhere. Well, <laughs> you know, I I want to get some writing done. You know, we'll do it. Yeah. when I when I and I just really want to dive into it. And this way, when I get back on the road in February, I'll have Tales of Mystery Volume 3, I'll have Love Stories to Die For, I'll have Nightmare World Volume 4, we might have The Omnibus by that point, so I'll have three or four new books by the time I hit the road again. And, and you know, I mean, I got some shows in February, March, I'm going to Seattle for Emerald City Comic Con, then you got C2E2, I mean, I, I mean it's going to get so busy so quick, I just want a couple, a two months to just watch a little TV, <laughs> there I said it. I I've only seen one episode. Listen of Black to Beer. a few podcasts. Listen to somebody catch up on the 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 podcast. I want to catch up on and just get a load of writing done. That sounds awesome, man. That's very exciting. Maybe you'll actually have enough to put on a table here in Toronto someday. I I I know I need I, I don't I, even I know why I bother. I don't I really don't. I should just give up. Like oh jeez. Like Dirk doesn't like Canada. Well He's no, that's busy. not it. I mean with the election I got to hurry up and get my passport now because who knows what <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. Kind of. But um uh, no, I I I do you know, here's the thing. I've had a plan from the beginning and 2016 was about me really locking in the east. And I've done that. And now 2017 is about going west. So I'm going to be picking up uh, Emerald City Comic Con. I'm hoping to do another show out west. And then 2017 and 2018, I'll be looking north and south. Right on. And I know it sounds far away, but there's a plan. And I mean, that's the latest <laughs> I want to get up there. So, well, there's something up here every goddamn weekend. So if it ever somehow did fit into your schedule, it wouldn't be too hard for you to pull off. I guarantee. You that. No, and I want to get up there and see if I can do a good show up there. I have several friends that have wonderful shows up in Canada, and I, and, I, and it's and it's way up on my list. I want to do it desperately, but I also need to tell myself. Um, I, I need to. I need to. Uh, the plan is working. Stick to the plan. And uh, of course, yeah. Okay. Have you done San Diego ever? 
Uh, I did one As time. A, you I, I tabled did, that there? I tabled at San Diego with Image Comics uh, with Shadowline. Cool. Cool. Uh, it, it was a cool show. Um, I will never go back on my own. Um, I know some people do it, but to me, the cost is so prohibitive. I could do five or six other shows for doing San Diego. Um, right, right, right. You know, just, in the event right. Devil's Do or something goes out there, I'll go out there. I'll work. I'll do it. It'll be fine. But uh, it's a it's a trade show built around a comic show. You know, right. I mean, it's really what it comes down to. Um, I, I like the comic-centric shows, the C2E2s, the New York Comic-Con, shows that are about comics. Mm-hmm. That's my jam. And horror shows. I like doing horror cons as well. I'd like to do a couple more of those coming up here. But... Oh, C2E2 was so good for that, man. I hope I can make it out there again. It's going to be hard because April went and kind of screwed me because I got – the Great Philadelphia Comic Con mm-hmm. from April seventh to ninth. Yep, yep. C two E two is the following weekend. Oh. And but bleeding over that would be Star Wars Celebration in Orlando. Oh no! And I was <laughs> yeah, I was really really hoping to catch that one this year you know because it's orlando it's easy because we have a timeshare there eh? oh right on and it's it's 11 minutes from the convention center so i'm torn because c2e2 was such a party but we'll see what happens well you gotta follow your heart you know even I do. Like, like i know like with philly and stuff like that the great philadelphia con i, I you know i want to get back doing more stuff with philly again and i wasn't able to make it work this last year so yeah, we'll we'll see so what happens. But, but I but I hey man, no one would fault you for doing. I mean, if that Star Wars con is in your backyard or your timeshare, it's almost a no brainer. Yeah, kind of oh. is, isn't it? I mean, I mean, I, I did a C two E two, and that was the point. You know, I got to do New York. That's the big one. That if I miss next year, I'll have to kick myself. And I know it's already silly because of the way that they have to like remodel the thing or reorganize. Yeah, it you missed it, you missed the artist alley in the separate building, which was yeah. just. Oh, wow. Amazing, but no, I I mean not that I I love you, I love seeing you, but I'll tell you what, man, if I was you, I would do Star Wars because you did C two E two, do your Star Wars, and then this year pick up New York, and mm-hmm. then you go from there. Yep, it's a good plan. It's a good plan. Hey, if you're going west, does that include like Colorado? It's possible. Because yeah, I'm telling you, Denver Comic Con is one hell of a good time, and oh, I, I hope. Hope to be going back this year. That is on my radar. Yeah, I can yeah. say. It's on that my radar. A, that was a fun. All right, so let's do one final check-in here for the Nightmare World Omnibus, including Nightmare World Volume 4, 301 backers, 25530 dollars <laughs> pledged of a $13,000 goal. Just about to double up on that bitch. Uh, 16 days to go. Yeah, and... 196% funded. We are 4% away from unlocking the Bible. <laughs> I, uh, I, I'm congratulations. going to ball, man. When that, I, I, oh, God. <laughs> You're going to have to do a Kevin you know, Smith video and just cry into the, your I, Facebook I, live feed. <laughs> I, 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 Josh Ross and I talked about this forever. We said, you know, and he's always like, you know, someday you got to do like a nice hardcover edition of the book with all the stories in it. And that'll be like the definitive edition of the book. And 
And I said, yeah, man, we can make it leather bound. And, and <sighs> we, are less than, we are now less than $500 from that happening. We are, um, we are $470 away. Well, I can't wait to see it because, you know, it's pretty much bound to happen at this point. But, hey. Knock on wood. I don't want to take anything for granted. That's what they said about Hillary, too, right? So I don't take anything for granted, man. We'll see what happens. But thank you. I'm I'm, I'm stoked about the possibility of it happening. So, Well, dude, congratulations on all this wonderful, well-deserved success. It's – it's great to see kids. You got to check out all this stuff. Go to Kickstarter, Nightmare World, Omnibus, or you can just type in Dirk Manning, and uh, he shall appear. Uh, as always, dude, it's so wonderful to have you on the show. Thank you. It, it's it's very good talking to you, my friend. And uh, yeah, well, let's see what happens these next sixteen days. Um, you know, people can check me out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, and. I'll tell you, if we unlock the Volume 4 stretch goals, I did get permission from Josh Blaylock to uh, say this, Nightmare Namacon. Ooh. (laughs) I was going to say that actually earlier. I was going to reference the Necronomicon, but that just seems too on point. No, well, well, if we get to the Volume 4 stretch goals, they're going to be a little more stretched out, but they will include the Nightmare Namacon. I can't believe there's going to be more stretch goals. <laughs> I can't either. Like, Devil Do is like, do you really need more at this point? Because, uh, yeah, because I mean, whatever we give away ultimately is taking away from the money we can make to printing the book. But um, Leatherbound is fine. But, uh, yeah, man, the Nightmare Nama come. Ah, <laughs> uh, Dirk, you're wonderful. Uh, everybody, check out Dirk Manning uh, either on Kickstarter or probably uh, at a convention near you. <laughs> uh, that's it, kids. That's all we're going to have this week on an elegant weapon. You want to say it? Can you say it? Do you know what you're going to say? I'll say it. Take it easy. <laughs> there you go. I, I, I knew I couldn't say it quite the right. I, I don't have that little ease, little flair. <laughs> that, 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 that. I, I was like, like <laughs> but uh, I would just say thank you to everyone for supporting good horror and uh, deuces as the kids say <laughs> <laughs>